Well, this passage that uh, Cindy read for us, the context in which it's read is it's just after this amazing journey that Saul had been on to go from Jerusalem to Damascus really to persecute the church. He was intending to put Christian leaders in prison. And in the midst of that journey, if you're somewhat familiar with the story, uh, he's blinded by a vision. Christ is present to him. And then he's blinded as he moves on into Damascus. And so much of that story in uh, this chapter 9 of Acts, we really look at Saul and just this amazing thing that God begins to do in his life. But, but I also want us to look at somebody else in this story. The obedience of one man, I would submit, changes everything. And he's almost an insignificant man. In the middle of this very dramatic, miraculous story of change, a quite unknown man appears. And it might be easy for us to miss him. And even if we've heard this story of Saul on the road to Damascus many times, it's quite possible that we've never really taken into consideration uh, this other person in the story besides Saul. And I'm talking about Ananias. Uh, who cares about Ananias? I mean, this is the only place we really find him in Scripture, and yet God uses him and in a significant way. He's the bridge that literally helps connect Saul uh, into his new life in Christ. He's the bridge that helps connect Saul to the church. Uh, his actions, I would say, were really momentous. He prayed and Saul received sight. He prayed and Saul received the presence, the filling of the Holy Spirit. He also was baptized and we're told he got physical nourishment and probably spiritual nourishment as well. Now certainly we would look at the story and we'd recognize God saved Saul. But God also used people like Ananias to help connect someone like Saul to the church and, and into a relationship that would cause him to go deeper in Christ. So who's this man, Ananias? You know, again, we don't know much about him except uh, beyond this passage, what Paul says about him in Acts chapter 22. There's one verse that he mentions Ananias again many years later in his life and his ministry. Acts 22:12. it says, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. So what do we know about Ananias? Well, he was simply doing a simple job for the Lord. The Lord had a simple job for Ananias to do, to go to a particular place to pray for a specific man named Saul. We don't really know about how Ananias felt about that after he did this. We never really know. We don't really hear much about him beyond that verse in, in Acts. He eventually, we would assume, went back to his home. He went back to his life, his family, uh, to serving uh, the church, but then playing what we would describe in this case a small but significant part of this great drama of Paul's conversion. Yet without uh, Ananias' willing assistance, it wouldn't have been possible for Paul to become who God had intended for him to become. I think that's kind of the history of faith as we look at the Bible. We see again and again, God uses ordinary, average, somewhat insignificant people, maybe even people like us, to accomplish great things for him. I can imagine when God began to speak to Ananias about what he was to do, Ananias probably was saying something to the effect of, Lord, I don't mind reaching out to my neighbors and my friends and helping people, new people find or discover Christ and join your church. But really, you want me to go to this guy named Saul? Saul's not ordinary. He's a murderer. He's a persecutor of the church. He was coming to Damascus to throw Ananias in jail and other leaders in prison. And I'm sure Ananias was really wondering, has he really changed? 
Could it be a trap? Why should I take such a risk to go to a guy like this? But Ananias, we're told, eventually goes. And on the basis of nothing except what God just said to him, he trusted God. Or rather, he was willing to trust God in the situation. You know, I think we all struggle with some questions, basic questions about life. Questions like, am I useful? Does it really matter? Do I make a difference in the big picture? Am I important? Uh, What of any significance do I have to offer in this situation or others? And yet so often we stop asking the questions and we never do anything about the answers. Even among Christians, we'll notice some problems, but we might think, well, surely somebody else in the church is more gifted or more capable to address that problem and we don't do anything. Or we might think, you know, somebody else is going to provide the solution in this situation. I don't really know what the answer is, so I'm going to let somebody else do that. And meanwhile, the incredible privilege of being used by God to help other people find Jesus or connect to the church or to do ministry for others, in a sense, slips through our fingers. Ananias was ready. He was able, he was willing to be used by the Lord to encourage Saul in his new walk with Christ. And so I just want to take some time in the message and have us consider, how was Ananias able to be used? How was he ready to be used by God in that situation? Well, the first thing I would say as we look at that passage is that Ananias was listening to God's voice. Ananias had trained himself to listen to God. He was ready to hear God. He was a man, I would say, who was a man of prayer. Uh, and now most of the time or often when we are in prayer with the Lord, we often end up telling God all of our troubles, all of our challenges about our days, about our concerns, our fears, our family, and so on. Now, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with telling God all those things. I think sometimes it helps to put everything in perspective as we go to the Lord with those things. But I would submit, too, that God already knows all those things. He doesn't need us to tell him those things. And I think I want us to think about it. We have this opportunity, this privilege of spending time with the Almighty, the all-knowing God of the universe. And we tend to spend so much time with Him, telling Him things He already knows. I think it's even easier for us in that time of prayer to talk more than it is for us to listen. And I think we really have to train ourselves to listen to God when we converse with Him. So it's easier to talk than it is to listen. I think if we went to any kindergarten class at an elementary school or we went to kindergarten here at church, we'd see that. The kids, they just love to talk and tell you things. And that's part of the challenge of growing up or growing older is is realizing it's not all about talking. It's also about listening. And, you know, I think when we're talking, we tend not to be able to be in a position of learning. Learning position is really when we're listening. We're listening to someone else, but especially we're listening to God. Well, Ananias knew how to recognize God's voice, even to the point that when God spoke, Ananias was able to say, yes, Lord, I will go. He knew God's voice so well that he knew when the Almighty spoke with him. And I would say also that we would certainly understand that there are people who are all around us uh, who need the Lord. Uh, who need a friend, who need someone to be an encourager in their life. I think that God even wants to use a certain person at a certain time with another certain person. My youth leader in high school would describe that as a divine appointment, that God makes divine appointments for us. Sometimes we're aware of those divine appointments. Other times we're not always aware. 
But God does that today. That's why we can expect those divine appointments in life. And the Lord sets them up, and it could be the neighbor that we run into uh, outside our house one day, or it could be the person that sits down next to us uh, while we're waiting for a meal, or it could be all kinds of situations. But they may not be coincidences. It could be the Lord setting up a divine appointment. And God leads us to help see the needs that are around us if we're really open and willing. They may be interruptions to our normal routines, but but they're divinely arranged. And we're caused to see those needs, their loneliness, their hurts, because Jesus wants us to connect with them, to encourage them. And Ananias didn't let that divine moment kind of slip through his fingers. He was there, and he was ready to be used by God. And God used him. And certainly God used him, I believe, to change the world. It takes time, I would agree, for us to learn how to recognize God's voice Uh, As we dialogue with him, it takes practice. It doesn't come in one sitting. You can't learn it from one sermon. Uh, You can't learn it in one Sunday school class. It takes practice. It takes going to the Lord consistently. It's a process. It's also a process of learning to wait and to be silent and taking time to hear if the Lord wants to let us in on something that we don't already know about. And especially busyness and activity, those, those things hinder our spirit's ability to to hear and to sense the Spirit of God speaking to us and prompting us to move with Him where He wants us to go and who He wants us to minister to. And it's awfully hard, I believe, to hear God's voice in the hardships of life or especially in the hustle, in the bustle of the craziness, the busyness of our culture. But God wants to teach you to hear His voice in the quiet places that you need to forge out of your own time. And when you learn to hear the voice of the Lord... Then you'll hear it the next time, even maybe when life is busier or when you're in a storm, because you'll know the voice and you'll be able to know the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, you won't find time. Uh, it's generally not waiting for, for us to find it. You have to make time to do those kinds of things. You have to take time. But when you do, and the Lord begins to whisper small things in your mind, then you begin to recognize His voice. And Ananias was listening to the Lord, and he, was, he sought the Lord He knew his voice. He knew his prompting. He was ready to respond to God's leading in his life because of that. So that's certainly one aspect. Again, Ananias was, he was listening to God. But then I believe also that Ananias was ready and willing to be loyal to God's directions as God gave them to him. Even though Ananias had his concerns, and he did, he expressed them in this passage, and he had doubts about following the Lord's directions, he still did it eventually. You know, it's one thing to hear God's voice. It's another thing to be willing to obey the voice that we hear. And can we learn to trust God so deeply that that we simply respond on the basis of what He says to us? Are we willing to? Sometimes it's not a lack of evidence that it's God speaking. It's a lack of willingness in our life. And, And part of that willingness is that we have to be willing to relinquish control. Control of our life or the situation to God. And I find sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, is be willing to relinquish control to God. If we go back in the Old Testament, we look at the Israelites, when God led them out of Egypt, and it was just an amazing thing that He did, and He did a, a series of miracles in that exodus. But that didn't change their spirit. They still had a hard time trusting God for every step. And they ended up wandering around in the desert for years because of their unbelief, their lack of trust. If we're going to be obedient to God like Ananias, we have to trust that God is good. 
And he has good things. He's, that he's, we have to trust him that he's working graciously and redemptively in our lives, as well as the lives of people that he calls us to serve or to minister to or to encourage. Obedience also, I believe, includes sacrifice. It's not always going to be easy or convenient to do God's will. Certainly Ananias, in going to Saul, he had to be willing to put his leadership on the line. He had to be willing to give up his schedule or his plan in order to do what God was calling him to do. He had to literally get up and change his day in order to go to this house. So it requires sacrifice. I really appreciate that we had the HIS ministry testimony, Matthias and and, uh, Dr. Dennis. And I really believe that ministry is all about uh, having that willingness to sacrifice. It's about willing to give time uh, as Americans to international students to befriend them to create time in our schedule and be intentional about that, to build a relationship with them so that we can encourage them and and serve them as they come here to come to school. You know, uh, so Ananias had to be willing to risk and interrupt his schedule. Uh, So it involves risk. He was risking his life. He was risking his family. He was risking the church in order to go to Saul, who had been a fairly dangerous man to the early church. What if Saul was a spy? And this was a ruse just to draw believers out. Uh, what if Saul changed his mind later and, and he came back to Damascus and he knew everybody that was engaged with the church and now he had them? Ananias laid a lot on the line to go minister to Saul, but he chose to obey God, even though there was some risk involved. But he had faith in what God said and what God was asking him to do. Again, it's one thing to hear God's voice. It's another thing to obey him. Notice this, all Ananias needs to do was to go to a particular place, to a particular man named Saul. It required no skill, it required no ability for him to be able to do that, talents. God required none of his ability, but only his willingness to go. Go, the Lord says, go in verse 15, go to Judas' house and pray for him. The willingness is all that's required in the situation. But for Ananias, he obeyed God despite his fears, despite his questions about the mission. But what about you? If God told you to go do something hard, would you be able and willing to do that? What would be your response? Would you consider in the situation, if it was hard, would you figure, well, maybe it really wasn't of God because it's kind of risky. Or maybe you might say, you know what, am I going to delay going and doing that because I'm just not convinced I'm ready Would you come up with other excuses why you can't or shouldn't? Or would you just go do it? How you answer reveals if you've put your trust in God or if your trust is still in yourself and your own abilities or your lack of them. Obedience to God's purpose will at times require that we trust in God and not ourselves. That we're going to be willing to sacrifice our time, our money, uh, reputation, both individually, but also corporately as a church. There are times as a church, we're going to have to risk. We're going to have to step out on faith if we're really going to serve the Lord and minister to Him. If we're going to start a new ministry opportunity, we're not sure it's going to succeed. You know, if God's saying, hey, I want you to go do this, then we've got to be willing to risk a little bit. Risk our reputation. Risk failure. God at points will call us to go all in for Him, and it will require full obedience, sacrifice, and even risk at times. So Ananias, he was willing to be obedient, to serve God. He was also willing to go and be loving to God's people. 
So Ananias made the journey of prayer where he learned and he listened to what God was asking him to do. But he also made the obedient journey. And now he needs to go and show Saul the love of Christ. To get up and go and show Saul that another Christian is obedient and willing to trust him or believe in him and to demonstrate encouragement. And so once Ananias decides to go, he went really well. He was a good representative for the Lord. Think about it. In going to Saul, he offered Saul acceptance. He offered him grace. He offered him forgiveness in that encounter. He went to Judas's house where Saul was staying, and we're told that he lays his hands on Saul as he begins to pray for him. And, and certainly we understand that whenever we lay our hands on someone, it's a demonstration of our affirmation of that person. And certainly, Saul probably was somewhat scared too. I mean, he knew the things that he had done. He knew the Christians were scared of him. They didn't trust him. They were angry with him. And so this Christian man named Ananias comes, and he lays his hands on Saul. Now, for us, that's a point of affirmation for sure, but we didn't understand in that culture in the Middle East in the time of the early church, that would be like ten times more than the affirmation that we would think it would be. It was huge for Ananias to lay his hands on Saul. And then we're told he he uses the word brother as he prays for him. This term of endearment. And think about this man that he was saying brother to was someone who had persecuted the church. He'd thrown Christians in jail. He'd been involved in killing Stephen. Man, brother, brother Saul, what a word of encouragement. What a word of affirmation. I want to invite you to go to verse 17 in that passage. It's actually where we see the words and what and what Saul or what Ananias is doing for Saul in that house that Judas had. So in verse 17 it says Ananias went to the house and entered entered it, placing his hands on Saul. Again, placing his hands on the one who had come to persecute Ananias, his friends, the church the believers in Damascus. And Ananias is laying his hands on him. And then he says to him, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. Think about it. Think about it. Brother Saul. I mean, this was the guy that had come to do harm to them. This was the guy that he knew. He probably knew Christians at the time that were in jail because of what Saul had done. He probably either knew Stephen or he knew about Stephen, that, that Saul had participated in killing Stephen, and he's endearing himself to him by calling him Brother Saul. Then he goes on, he says, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so... Now think about how hard this must have been for Ananias, knowing all these things. He has sent me here, and he's got his arms on his shoulders, and I'm thinking, if I'm Ananias, I'm kind of like, you know, I might start choking his neck a little bit right now. I might give him a little forearm shiver because of... The pain that he's caused, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And Saul's maybe a little bit wondering the same thing. What's he going to do to me right now? And yet he says, the Lord has sent me not to harm you, not to pay you an eye for an eye for what you've done to the church and to the believers. The Lord has sent me so that you may see again. The Lord has sent me to demonstrate the healing grace of God for you. The one who has persecuted his church. The Lord is sending me to demonstrate the grace of God. And then he goes on, he says, And he sent me so that you might be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. Ananias is praying that God would fill Saul with the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God that would reside in Saul, the one who's harmed his friends, the one who had intent to harm him. He's graciously asking God, God, would you fill him with the Holy Spirit? Think about how that must have come across to Saul. Think about the power of that moment that Ananias laid hands on him, called him brother, prayed for him. Think about the transforming sacrificial love that Ananias was showing to Saul. The acceptance, the grace, the forgiveness. That's the power of the gospel. At work in Ananias and at work in Saul as well. And what a blessing we can be to others when they're in need and we can offer them acceptance. We can offer them the grace of God. We can offer them forgiveness if it's required or if it's needed in the situation. Many of you know again that Saul became Paul. He was the greatest missionary evangelist of the early church. In fact, half of the New Testament has written letters that he wrote to other churches that we have. And I want to read one of his more well-known passages. I want us to think about it. Later in his life, in his ministry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, a really well-known passage. This is what Paul says, who used to be Saul. He says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Paul's speaking from experience here. He used to view other people. From a worldly point of view. He used to view Christ from a worldly point of view, but he says, no more. I don't anymore. We don't anymore. And then he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Where do you think Paul had that demonstrated to him? Ananias. Ananias came to him and said, hey, Paul, you know what? I don't view you in a worldly sense anymore. And in fact, God's doing something in your life. And you know what, Paul or Saul? The old is gone. The new is here. You are a new creation in Christ. I have to imagine that when Paul was writing these, le- these words so many years later, he was thinking about Ananias' ministry to him when he was in the midst of that conversion to Christ. Think about the power and how that influenced him. And now I know so many of you are really serious about letting God use you as an encourager when other people have needs. I have seen it. I've only been here for a year, and I could stand up here and I could tell dozens of stories. I could take another hour. Do you want me to take another hour and tell you all the stories? I'm going to tell you one story, though. One story that I've learned about how somebody encouraged another in the midst of our congregation. So really the story is about David Flores. David, are you here? I think it was at the second service. So David told me the story. He said it was okay. I could tell the story. So David used to be uh, somebody who really struggled with life. He struggled. Uh, he just, it was a hard thing for him. In fact, he struggled with alcohol abuse uh, for on and off. He tried to quit for many years, and it really impacted his family. Um, it had impacted his closest relationships. Uh, and so it's a great story because uh, he felt like, he told me he felt like his life was miserable and and he, and he wanted only he wanted to have hope that life could be better or there's something more that could change him. But he didn't know what it was. He didn't know how to get it. And he heard about our men's ministry. He showed up one Monday night to our church to come to a Bible study. He ended up telling a few guys after the Bible study about his struggles with life and drinking and the way it's impacted his life. And, 
And he said a few of those guys came from, uh, from that group and they became his spiritual wingmen. That's his name. They're, they're, they're my spiritual wingmen. I think it's a great phrase. And, and he said these guys became his friends, his, his encouragers. And I'm going to name them. Randy Hawkins and Paul Bijanowski and Mike Fabrizius and Ryan Brantford and a few others. And they literally built a friendship with David and they eventually shared Christ with him. And David gave his life to the Lord. And through that commitment, David said his whole life has been transformed uh, because of the power of Christ. And he was able to give up drinking completely for the first time in his life. Uh, His life that was once chaotic, he would say, is now full of joy and passion. And he loves serving the Lord and the church. And he's just excited about relationships. He's been able to restore most of the broken relationships in his family or in his life. And it's all because of the grace of Christ. And because a small band of Christian brothers were willing to come up beside him and encourage him and befriend him. And support him and love him. And I just think when I hear that story, isn't it exciting to hear about the power of God at work in somebody's life? And to hear about how God uses people to bring about transformation and encouragement. That's awesome. And the reality is that there's so many people whom we come in contact with on a regular basis that are hurting. They're lonely. They're lost. They're broken. They're grieving. We could go on with a list of things that people are struggling with. And we have the hope of the world in Christ to offer to them. The only gift that would, I believe, fully satisfy, the only thing that will bring lasting transformation. And often the opportunities aren't as dramatic as that story about David. But there are dozens of small windows of opportunities to offer encouragement to folks who really need it. Could it be that God might want to speak to you about helping other people get connected to this church? We have a lot of people who come and visit our church. Do you know their names? Do you know their kids' names? Do you, have you made an effort to show them that this really is a loving church? You know, so, uh, Ananias was willing to make the journey and sacrifice his time and his schedule to get up from his house and walk to Judas's house where Saul is at. And, and my only question for us as a church is, are we willing to get up from our seat, wherever we're sitting in the sanctuary, And walk a few rows over before or after the service and just introduce ourselves and give a greeting and just begin to have a conversation and maybe build a relationship and encourage someone. Demonstrate, you know, we're paying attention. We we care about you. We're, We're glad that you're here and we want to get to know you. You know... Are we willing to do those kinds of things? If a guest was willing to base his or her experience on their encounter with how you treated them, would they come back? Or would they think that we're kind of indifferent as a church body? You know, learning to hear God's voice is not just for our own benefit. Uh, God speaks to us so that we can be a part of his plans to reconnect lost and hurting people in the world to him. It's not so we can sit on the shelves and somehow be God's trophies of what he's accomplished in our lives. It's so that we can be used to help others find him. And, and you know, as far as Ananias' qualities go, not one of them is based on his ability. It was all based on his willingness, his availability. We don't know what Ananias could or could not do well, but we do know that he was available for God's purposes. No excuses. And Ananias obeys what God tells him to do, and, and it's our greatest privilege to do the same. We can never tell what God will do with our willingness I don't think Ananias knew probably the significance of what he was participating with and how he was helping Saul. 
and who Saul would become for the Lord. But if you think about it, he was a part of changing history. And because one man is willing to obey God and to do a simple job, Ananias may not know what he did or accomplished, but the Lord knows. And we know many years ago because it's recorded for us. What the Lord said came true in verse 15. He said, This man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Isn't it great to be an Ananias? Isn't it wonderful that we can help be the bridge for someone into God's kingdom? Isn't it great that we can help someone get connected to Christ and his church? Isn't it great that we can be someone who can simply be a minister to someone else who's got needs in their life? Could it be that we've already encountered a few divine appointments and we've not realized them? Or that God's called and maybe we didn't recognize his voice and we've missed a few life-changing opportunities? Can we be an Ananias in somebody's life? Why not? Let's do it. Let's be the church that God's calling us to be. You know, we we can be and we are the Ananias that God can use in somebody's life. It takes hearing God. It takes being willing to obey Him. It takes a willingness to love others with sacrificial, unconditional love. No excuses. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come. We're thankful, God. We're thankful, Lord, that You have come to us, that You've called us to be Your disciples. Lord, we want to be faithful to that vocation that You've given to us, but it's not easy, and sometimes we don't succeed. We're not always faithful. God, help us to be faithful, to go where we might not want to go, where we're uncomfortable going, to speak to those that we might would rather avoid. Lord, help us to reach out to those that maybe would cause us to change our schedule or uh, make a sacrifice. God, my prayer is that you would make us better than we are on our own for your kingdom's sake. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.